We started off the year in a new sermon series called Captivity, Escaping Babylon, Embracing Home. And the first seven weeks or so of that study, we were identifying the different captors that uh, oftentimes lure our hearts away from abiding in Christ. We talked about things like digital distractions and busyness and idolatry and biblical illiteracy and so forth, things like that. And then you'll find this in the middle of your worship guide on that middle page. Instead of me subjecting you to the torture of watching me draw on the dry erase board, we just kind of created this graphic in the middle of your worship guide. And we talked about the way that we escape captivity is really similar to the way we came to faith in Christ to begin with. It's through faith and repentance, repentance and faith. And so when we find ourselves in captivity, usually we're there because we not, didn't have a behavior problem, we had a belief problem. It wasn't the fruit of our life was wrong, it was the root of our life was wrong. So we want to repent of not believing the truth about God and who He is and what He's done and who we are in Him. And we want to repent to believing the truth about who He is and what He has done through Christ for us and who we are in Christ. And it's in that rhythm of repenting and faith that we find ourselves then abiding in Jesus. You may see the graphic in your worship guide of the stick man outside the circle, the stick man in the circle. We talked about this so often. We think in terms of the Christian life being, I'm trying to get closer to Jesus. When in reality, the language and the imagery of Scripture is not a relationship in which we're trying to get closer to Jesus, but we're intended to live in Him, to dwell in Him, and to abide in Him. And what we're talking about now is that for the person then who through repentance and faith is abiding in Jesus, we begin to experience life in 4D or in four directions. First of all, we experience God's life toward us and we experience that through His Word. We talked about the fact that we hear His Word and we, re we read His Word and we study His Word and we memorize His Word and we meditate on His Word and we apply His Word to our life. And then our life flows back toward God in terms of I am going to be in solitude throughout moments in my life so that I can surrender fresh and new to God to be able to say, not my will, but your will be done. I'm going to worship him in spirit with an authentic heart and truth grounded on the unchanging word of God. And I'm going to pray and I'm going to wait and I'm going to watch. And I'm going to fast and then I'm going to rest in God knowing he is for me. And he's not against me, knowing that he is good and that he is faithful. And then it's out of this now relationship of abiding in Christ where God is flowing toward me out of his word and my life is flowing back toward him and worship and prayer and so forth, that now that relationship with God, this abiding with God, is now going to overflow out of my life and into the lives of my brothers and sisters in Jesus. Do you see how this all goes together? This is not a separate thing that I do. i got to figure out now how to love my brothers and sisters in Jesus. No, this naturally happens for the person who is abiding in Jesus. It's the overflow of the fullness of our relationship with him, abiding in him, that loving our brothers and sisters in Christ begins to happen in our life. And so we talk about the third D here in our life. There's one big bucket term that I think sort of encompasses everything that we could say about this, and that's the word edification. And I know edification sounds like a $3 churchy word, but it simply means to build up, to build or to build up, to edify, to build up 
somebody else. And this is what God has called us to do in relationship to our brothers and sisters in Christ. That defines what our relationship with each other is about. It has one purpose, to build each other up in Jesus. That's the main purpose that God has given us in terms of our relationship with other people. We're going to be people who build each other up in Christ, not tears each other down. The person who abides in Christ is a person who is building up the people of God. I'll say it this way. You cannot simultaneously abide in Jesus and tear down his people. You might want to write that down. You cannot do both of those things at the same time. You cannot abide in Jesus and tear down his people. Here's God's plan. I would also write this down. By the way, I'm saying this because I didn't turn notes in this week to the media team. All right, So you are the media team today. You have to craft all the notes and write them down on your sheet of paper for your own use. Okay, So I'll give you some tips. Here's the next one you can write down. Here's God's plan. God's plan is to use his people, that's me and you, the saved. His plan is to use his people to build up his church according to his plan. That defines our relationship with each other. God's plan is that we build each other up according to God's plan. I want you to think about what it takes to build a building, right? First of, first of all, there has to be the owner of that building. There has to be the person who, who has the vision, who, who, who knows what it is that they want to have built. And, and that's the owner here. And in this case, when we talk about the building of the church, God is the owner of this project. God is the owner of us, his people, his church, his bride. But then secondly, in a construction project, there's got to be a set of plans. Everybody's got to be working together off of the same page. And the set of plans that we have to use in this construction project is the scripture. It is God's word. It's not subjectively left up to my opinion or your opinion. We don't subjectively sort of vote on this and decide how we want to do this. God has clearly laid out his construction plan in his word. And that's the plans that we're to work off of. And then there's the workers in the project. And that's us. That's me and you. That's every redeemed, born-again, saved man and woman and boy and girl. We are all workers in this project. Nobody is saved to sit and watch the project happen. Nobody is saved to sit on the sideline while everybody else is working on this project together. We are all to be workers together in this project. So edification is simply the building up of God's church according to God's plan. And our desire is this, that it would simply be pleasing to God. That's our aim, that's our goal, and all that we do in relationship to each other is, God, as I relate to Jesse and Sue, I want you to be pleased with the way our relationship looks with each other. And the way that I'm seeking to build them up in you, Jesus, and the way they're seeking to build me up in you, Jesus, we want that to be pleasing to you because this is your project. You're the owner of this project. And I want to be clear about that because sometimes we, I think, lose sight of the fact that we do belong to him. 
that this is his project, that he has ownership of it all. You know that a church is going down the wrong road when you start to hear people talk about, this is my church, right? You, you'll hear that on the front side of some bad Baptist business meetings. It's not ours. We don't own it. This belongs to God. We're only here to please him, the owner. In Acts chapter 20, Paul is communicating with the pastors and elders, the leadership of a local church in the city of Ephesus. You might even call the pastors or elders of a local church the project managers over that construction project. It's the project managers or the pastors slash elders they are going to have to stand before the owner one day and give an account for the project that was put before them in their lifetime. So Paul is talking to the project managers of the church at Ephesus, and this is what he says to them in verse 28 of Acts chapter 20. He says, so guard yourselves. Pastors, listen, i got pastor friends that listen in on our sermons, and in the last hour I had... I had a pastor in here from another local church in the 8 o'clock hour. And so I love pastors. And I just want to say to pastors, listen, the Bible says we got to guard ourselves. One, so that we can guard the people in the fellowship. And then it says feed and shepherd them. That's how we, that's how we guard God's people. We feed them God's word. And we shepherd them according to God's ways. Why is that important? Notice the next two words. His church. This is his church. These are his people. These are the people of his pasture, not mine. He's the owner of all of this. And here's, here's why he owns it. Notice the next five words. Purchased with his own blood. Jesus died to save sinners and call us his people. Call us his church. Call us his bride. And I would say to my pastors, notice the next line over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders. If you're truly called by God to be a project manager, a pastor, an elder in His church, the Holy Spirit has appointed you. And I and many pastors over the last year have been tempted to quit. And many are walking away right now from the ministry. This last year has seen more contention in our world and among brothers and sisters in Christ than maybe we have ever seen in our lifetime. And my pastor friends, they're discouraged at an all-time high because it's a no-win situation when you stand in this place. You're accused of some of doing this wrong and that wrong. You say too much about this and you don't say enough about that. You don't say enough about this, but you say too much about this. And so to my pastor friends who may be watching today, look, to be honest, this weekend I was kind of thinking along those lines myself. And you know when it changed for me? When I rolled into the church parking lot at 645 this morning and the men from Grace Life were showing up to pray. Put me in. All right? But I know I got a lot of pastor friends that they rolled into their church parking lot today all by themselves. And it's going to feel awfully lonely for them today. And so to them, I want to say the Holy Spirit has appointed you. Let's give ourselves to the very same thing that Jesus gave himself to, which is his church. And if you want to pray for me, that's what you can pray for me for. I want to give everything I got. 
to the same thing that Jesus gave everything he had. And that's his church. That's his body. That's his people. And I want to encourage my pastor friends, hang in there. Because I'll tell you what, it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. We live in a time today that church and church leaders are like the pinata at the birthday party. That's nothing new. That's been going on for a couple of thousand years now. I think one of the strange phenomenons that we're seeing in the time that we're living in is oftentimes the loudest voices are coming from within, not from without. The loudest voices are coming oftentimes from celebrity pastors and bloggers and podcasters who are finding every flaw in the church and magnifying it to the nth degree. And listen, we might be tempted to forget that yes, right now, while the bride of Christ, the church, is deeply flawed, she will not always be that way. Because Jesus loved her and he gave himself for her. He shed his blood to make her his own. And he has begun a good work in her and he is going to be faithful to finish it. And we need, before we jump on the bandwagon of magnifying every flaw within the body of Christ and within the bride of Christ, we need to remember it belongs to Jesus. You might not like Shannon, but she's my bride. And me and you might have to take it out in the street if you want to try to tear her down, all right? How much more passionate is Jesus for his bride? He loved us and he gave himself for us. Listen, say it again. You cannot abide in Jesus and tear down his bride at the same time. Those who are abiding in Jesus are going to be edifiers. They're going to be people who are building up, not tearing down. They will be doing that. They will be seeking to build up because their aim and their goal is this, to please God. To bring joy to the heart of Jesus. So in this building project called the church, God's the owner. I think we've made that clear, right? And every saved and born again, man, woman, boy, and girl, we're a part of this building team. Now, real quick, I just want to give you a, a glimpse of this building team. This is not it exhaustively. This is just kind of a little thumbnail sketch of the building team that you and I are a part of. Romans chapter 12, verse 4, Paul writes, Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body. And I love this. And we all belong to each other. We sang a song last week. We always sing it in Covenant Day when people are signing the membership book. We belong to each other. It comes straight out of this verse in Scripture. We all belong to each other. Verse 6. In His grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, in the context here, this isn't talking about telling the future. Prophesying here means proclaiming the word of God publicly. That's what I'm doing right now. So we might could say that God has given Pastor Joel the gift of prophecy, the gift of being able to prophesy, to stand and publicly proclaim God's word. And he says to those who have that gift, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. 
And then Paul describes another member of the building team. He says, those who serve, if your gift is serving others, then serve them well. For some of you, that's the gift that God has given you. You're always thinking about, how can I help? Where, where is there a need? Where is there a gap? Where is there a place that I can plug in and pull on the rope and help out with what's going on? Usually that's a person who doesn't care to be on the platform. They don't care to have the light shining on them. They don't want anybody watching them while they live stream. They're just behind the scenes, just trying to help where there's a need. And we couldn't do it without those people. Then Paul names another part of the building team. At the end of verse 7, he says, if you're a teacher, teach well. And some of you, God's gifted you to be a teacher. He's wired you up to think systematically and orderly so that you can clearly present the truth of God's word to other people. And then Paul says, if your gift is to encourage others, then be encouraging. Some of you, that's how God's wired you up. You're an encourager. You just can't help it. But, but you're you got to understand, this isn't just encouraging to try to build up people's self-esteem. We're not building up self-esteem here. We're building up people in Jesus. We're building faith in Jesus. We're building confidence in Jesus. We're doing that so that people are becoming more like Jesus. And if you're a spirit-filled, spirit-gifted encourager, you're constantly speaking the truth of God's word into other people's lives. Sometimes it might sound a little bit like admonishment. Because you're encouraging somebody to get back in the game. And sometimes it's encouragement where you're encouraging somebody. I'm so thankful that you're in the game. And I'm thankful for all that you're doing for God's glory. And then Paul says, if it's giving, give generously. Some people God has given this gift of giving to. They're just generous. They love to meet needs. They love to be a person who can provide for somebody else. Now, don't think, well, this is the deep pocket people in the church. No, what you'll typically find is those who have the gift of generosity sometimes have the least to give. But they're the most free with it. They're not encumbered by all of that. And so they're always looking for opportunities to be generous toward others with what God has entrusted to them. And then Paul says, if God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility Seriously, the Greek word for leadership literally means to stand before or to stand in front of. It's the person who's steering the ship. Oftentimes, this is the person who's gifted well, not just in the area of leadership, but in administration. Jade Beck has a mind that's kind of bent that way. To sort of understand the dynamics and to be able to see the scene and be able to make the right decisions to chart the course. So that the organization moves the way that it's supposed to move. And then Paul says, and if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. A better translation says the word mercy. These are the people who are just drawn to those that are hurting. They're drawn to those that are suffering. They're drawn to those that are grieving. They, they want to encourage and build up with the truth and the comfort of God's word. We could spend a whole lot of time talking about all the different gifts that exists within the body of Christ. That's a study for another day. That'll be a good one. But I just want you to know today that God has designed you. And God has gifted you in particular to serve Him in a specific way in His church. To be used of Him to build up, to edify His church in a certain way. Now granted, look, your gift may be mercy. And there may be 50 other people in this church that have that very same gift. But nobody can execute that gift the way you do. Without you 
fulfilling and carrying out the gift that God has given to you, we're missing something here. All the parts are important, and they're all intended here to work together for God's glory. So you have a task, you have a role. If you're a child of God, you have an assignment from God that nobody but you can do. And this is not an assignment that I've given you, by the way. Right? If you're, if you're lacking motivation to serve God, it could be because you're thinking, well, the pastor just keeps trying to get me to do stuff. Look, I don't expect me trying to get you to do stuff is going to have any lasting motivation in your life. The Bible didn't say, show up and the pastor's going to give you something to do. The Bible says, God has given you a gift. God has given you responsibility. God himself has given you a role. You don't got to, you get to do this. All right? If your mentality of building up the church, building up your brothers and sisters in Christ is one of duty, duty and drudgery, and i got to do this, then you have forgotten who the owner is. It's God himself who shed his blood to give us this privilege of serving him. So our roles in God's church is going to look different, just like on a construction site, right? Somebody's the plumber. Somebody's the brick mason. Somebody's the electrician. Somebody's the roofer. But they're all important, Ted, right? You're watching this every day at Shadow Lake. You guys that are out there at Shadow Lake, you're seeing this lived out in such a beautiful way right now. But all those roles, while they're different and unique from each other, they're also at the same time either directly dependent or indirectly dependent on each other. The whole thing's not going to work if they're all not working together. So our roles in edifying or building up God's people are different but, let me say this, but we have the same responsibilities. Roles are different. Responsibilities are the same. That's what you should have written down. I just think that's probably noteworthy. Our roles are different, but our responsibilities are the same. There's this word in the Greek called alelon. It's one word in the Greek, but it's two words in the English. It's the two words, one another. One another. You find that word alelon a hundred times in the Greek, in the New Testament, in about 94 verses. That phrase, one another. We see it woven throughout the New Testament. And these 100 one another verses are the responsibilities that each of us have toward each other. This is how we are to do what it is that we do. The way I fulfill my gift should be done like this. The way you fulfill your gift should be done like that. The roles are different, but the responsibilities are the same. So the one another passages tell us how those with the gift of prophecy, how they use that toward the people who have the gift of mercy, and how the people who have the gift of mercy use their gift toward the people who have the gift of teaching, and so on. Listen, what good is it going to do on a job site? If you got, Don, if you got the most skilled of craftsmen out there, and, and this is where the illustration of building the building at Grace Life breaks down, because we got Grace Life guys, right? Are they the most skilled guys out there? Yes, I think so too. I'm just kidding. <laughs> They're amazing what they do. But think about this. The job site's going to break down. Even if you have the best craftsmen, the best laborers, the best skilled people out there, but if you've got plumbers sabotaging electricians, if you've got roofers throwing hammers at brick masons, things aren't going to go well on that construction site. 
And certainly if the owner rolls up to inspect what's going on one day, and he says, listen, I put you out here, and I made you the best at what you do. I gave you the gift to do what you do, but now look what you're doing with it. Now the whole work is in question because of how we're carrying ourselves around one another. Now the problem is not that we don't have enough gifts that we don't have the right resources, we don't have the right talent, now we've got a heart problem. We're not thinking of one another. So these 100 one another statements, they tell us how we're to relate to each other. And you might can group them together sort of like this. Let's say maybe roughly a, a third of the 100 of those one another statements relate to unity, unity among us. Maybe roughly a third of these, you might say, relate to humility among us. And then maybe another third or so would relate to the way we love one another. Now, I'm not going to give you all 100 today. Don't panic. But I'm just going to kind of give you a snapshot. When we talk about unity, the Bible says, be at peace with one another. Mark 9. Don't grumble among one another. John 6. Be of the same mind with one another. Romans 12. Accept one another, Romans 15. Don't bite, devour, and consume one another, Galatians 5. Don't envy one another, also Galatians 5. Be kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving to one another, Ephesians 4. Bear with and forgive one another, Colossians 3. Seek good for one another and don't repay evil for evil, 1 Thessalonians 5. Don't complain against one another, James 4. Confess sins to one another, James 5. And then those one another's that relate to love, they sort of sound like this. Love one another, John 13. Through love, serve one another, Galatians 5. Be devoted to one another in love, Romans 12. And as it relates to humility, one another sound like this. Give preference to one another in honor. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Don't you want to go to a church like that, by the way? Serve one another, Galatians 5. Clothe yourselves in humility toward one another, 1 Peter 5. 5. Can I ask you a question? What, what is your relationship with your brothers and sisters in this church? What's that looking like? What's that look like? Are you faithfully using the gifts that God has given you? Are you employing that consistently and faithful? In the local church that you're connected to, listen, if you're visiting us from another local church, just apply that in the context of you and your local church. What's your relationship with your brothers and sisters within that local church? If Paul was speaking here again to the church at Ephesus, he'd be applying that to within that body of believers in that local context of the church. What is your relationship with the brothers and sisters there? What does it look like? Are you using the gifts that God has given you? If he's called you to be the plumber or the electrician or the roofer on the project, are you doing that faithfully to please the owner? Can I ask you another question? Are you one-anothering your brothers and sisters well? Is your mind bent toward how do I... Love and serve and create unity in this church family today? Or are you sitting on the sideline whining and complaining because nobody's one anothering you? If you need one anothering, do you know how you get one anothering? Sybil knows you give one anothering, right? 
The Bible says, he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. It reciprocates. Are you one anothering as many of your brothers and sisters in Christ as you can? Or are you guilty of the sin of partiality? James speaks an awful lot about the sin of partiality. Are you only one anothering the people that you like? Are you only one anothering the people that you have a natural affinity for? Are you only one anothering the people in your Sunday school class? I am a huge fan of our Sunday school classes. But I fear that sometimes our Sunday school classes have become sort of closed off to the rest of the body. And all of our focus is on one anothering the people in our Sunday school class. Hey, Sunday school class, you're not the church. You're a piece of it. You're a part of it, an important piece and part of it. But let's get a bigger vision than that, okay? We're called to build up not the Sunday school class, but the church. It may start in my smaller group, but it certainly can't end in my smaller group, right? It's got to continue to ripple out and go forward. And let me give you the goal of all this edifying. Number one, to minister to the church. Write it down. To minister to the church. The gifts that God has given you, they're not intended to end with you. You're not intended to keep those blessings in your pocket. Jesus wants you to use your gifts to the fullest. Don't you want to reach heaven on empty? I do. I do. Had a conversation last week with Mark Lennox. Mark's up here on this keyboard almost every Sunday. Here's, here's a snapshot of just a little bit that I know that Mark does, which makes me concerned about Mark, and he knows this, which is why he had this conversation with me last week in the hall. Over the last year, you know, we've tried to create multiple worship services so as many people as possible, despite how concerned they may be about their welfare, that maybe they would find a place where they could gather. And so that meant some weekends we were doing four services, and for the last stint we've been in three services. I mean, we're, we're closing in on 200 worship services we've led in in just the last year. Now listen, that's one thing for me to do it. I mean, it pays my bills, all right? I'm not going to lie to you. That's part of my job. I don't mind. But it's these other guys, men and women, they volunteer on top of everything else that they do, you know? Or like those men that I mentioned out at Shadow Lake. They've been out there every day for a couple of years now. Maybe it won't be much longer, all right? But, and so I watch Mark Lennox, and he gets here. 7.15 on Sunday morning, they practice at 7.30, he leads us at 8, 9.30, he does it again. When he finishes leading us in the 9.30, he runs off the stage as quick as he can because he's also a Sunday school teacher, one of the most gifted Sunday school teachers in our church. God's given him that gift. And he, he teaches that Sunday school class the whole time mindful of, he has to time it just right to get back in here to lead us in the final song or two. So he runs out of that Sunday school class back in here to lead us in the final song or two of that service. And then he's back up here at 11 o'clock leading us again. 
And then he and the worship team for the last number of Sunday afternoons, they run out, they get some fast food to eat for lunch, and they're back in here rehearsing all Sunday afternoon because we have Good Friday and we have Easter coming up. And then Wednesday, they don't go home from work, they just come here so they can get ready for the coming Sunday that we get to do this. And so I've worried through this whole year the strain that we're putting on volunteers like Mark and so many other people. And so Mark stopped me in the hallway last week and he said, listen, I know you worry about me and you worry about us, but I want you to know I'm good. He said, in fact, I want you to know that the challenge of this past year has been used by God for my good. And he said, here's where I am. He said, I know the day is coming that my mind and my fingers aren't going to allow me to do what I'm doing now. So while I can, I want to give it everything I have. And you talk about jet fuel to a pastor's heart who just looks around the landscape of this church family, and I stand in awe at the men and the women who have that kind of mentality, that kind of attitude. The men who are on this campus on Sunday morning before I drag myself here, who are ready to come here and pray. The guys who are over there been busting it for so long over at Shadow Lake. You just pass through them, and if you don't get inspired, I don't know, I don't know what's going to inspire you. And you watch some of these folks who are showing up early and staying late and giving all day long to serve the church, to build us up. They build us up. They're doing that, y'all, to build us up in the church. And if that don't fire you up, I don't know what will. We're blessed, and this is why we do all this. God says to minister to the church. Ephesians 4.11, Paul says, Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do God's work. And to build up his church, to edify. That's the body of Christ. You say, hey, pastor, I, I, I want to I serve the Lord. I, I want to I use the gifts God's given me. I'm not even sure what my gift is, but I, I want to be busy about God's work. I don't want to go to heaven on empty. Well, look, that's where I'm here. I'm here for that reason. The Bible just told you I'm here to equip you to do ministry. So if you're trying to figure that out, you want to make the pastors really, really fired up, you just come to us and say, hey, would you help me figure this thing out? Because that's what God's called us to do. And if we can't help you figure us out, then you need to fire us. That's just the truth. If we don't know how to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry, then we're in the wrong position. There's another role that we need to be playing within the body, but that ought not be it. All right? But I think we can do our job, so try us. If you're trying to figure out how can I serve the Lord and use my gifts in a local body of believers, then come talk to us. Because that's what all this is about, is to minister to the church. And then the second thing is to mature the church. It's to mature the church. This isn't just busy work till Jesus comes, right? This isn't like the teacher's going to be out on vacation, so she just left you busy work until she comes back. No, no, Jesus has not gone on vacation and left us busy work till he comes. He's given us, he's given us a commission and a task. And it's that we would bring the whole body of believers to maturity. What does that look like? Verse 13. Paul says, This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord. What does that look like? Measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. This is why we edify one another. So that together, collectively, we reach maturity which is the standard of Jesus, verse 14, then we'll no longer be immature 
like children, we won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We'll not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. This is why edifying happens in the church. We minister through our gifts to one another. We one another one another so that the church is reaching this place of maturity. What does that look like? That brings me to the third thing. It looks like Jesus. We mirror Jesus in the church. We do this to minister. We do this to reach maturity. We do this to mirror Jesus in the church. I want to read the same verses again, but watch this. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith, the knowledge of God's Son, that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. In other words, Christ becomes visible in this place. Christ becomes visible among us. Because every workman is actively using the gift that God has given to them. And every workman is using their gift while doing all the one anotherings that we're supposed to do. And there's this cohesiveness and this unity and this effectiveness in the midst of the job site. That the world looks at that and they don't see us, but they see Jesus. He's reflected and he's mirrored in this place. Down to verse 15, instead we speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Jesus. Listen, I'm not here to help Scott have a stronger self-worth or self-esteem. and He's not here to just pump me up. And I, I, I want to... I want to be faithful to what God has called me to do. And I want to be faithful to God's word. So that because of my relationship with Scott, he looks more like Jesus. And him toward me helps me look more like Jesus. And although he may be a roofer and I may be a plumber on the construction site here together, together we are serving the same God, same purpose, same unity, with the same spirit, and Jesus is seen in our midst. Don't you want to go to a church like that? I do. And I believe the world is looking for a church like that because they're looking for Jesus. And that's the end goal of our edification. That the church will be a true reflection of who Jesus is. That's what God's doing in this world. He's building a collection of men and women and boys and girls and knitting their lives together in such a way that collectively we show the world who Jesus is. So what have we said, Grace Life? Let's review. Abiding in Christ. We get there, repentance and faith, repentance and faith. And then it looks like abiding in Christ looks like God toward me through his word. I hear it, I read it, study it, I memorize it, I meditate on it, I apply it. And then it's me back toward God in solitude and surrender, not my will, yours be done, worshiping in spirit and truth and praying and waiting and watching and fasting and resting in him. And then it all overflows then, all that overflows then onto my brothers and sisters in Jesus. You see how that, it all works. And we do this to minister to the church so that the church can be mature, so the church can be a mirror image of who Jesus is. Can I ask you a, a tough question? 
if every member at Grace Life was edifying every other member at Grace Life to the degree that you're edifying every other member at Grace Life, how edified would Grace Life really be? Let me ask it again. If every member of Grace Life is edifying every member of Grace Life to the degree that which you are edifying every member at Grace Life, then how close are we to reflecting Jesus in this place? It's possible that some of you today have been given gifts from God to use to build up His church. And you're not using them. You know, I've heard the other comments through my career, opposite end of the spectrum from what I heard Mark say last Sunday. I've heard Christians say, well, I've done my part. Now it's somebody else's turn. I'm not doing it anymore. I'm just going to sit back and I'm going to watch which never really results, by the way, in just sitting back and watching. It usually results in sitting back and criticizing. And just so you know, the loudest boos always come from the cheapest seats. It comes from the folks who aren't invested. Don't be that person. Don't you want to go to heaven with your tank on empty? If you've got a gift that God's given you and you're not using it, that's not a fruit problem. That's a root problem. <laughs> Repent. Stop believing lies and believe the truth so that you might abide in Christ. And then everything will take care of itself. You say, I don't know, I don't know how to serve God. I don't know what my gifts are. I don't know what I could possibly do. Then let's talk. That's why I'm here. That's why our pastors are here. We want to help you figure that out. Many of you have and you are, and I'm so thankful for that. Maybe you're here and you've been wanting everybody to one another you. But you've not been putting forth the effort to one another anybody else. That's not a fruit problem, that's a root problem. You're believing some things that aren't true. Let's repent and let's believe the truth so that we can abide in Jesus and all this is going to take care of itself. You don't really want to go to heaven with half a tank, do you? I love what Mark said. I don't know how long my brain and my hands are going to work, but while they are, I want to do what I can. I don't know what doing all you can looks like. I can't answer that for you. God doesn't expect you to do what somebody else is capable of. He only expects you to do what you're capable of, right? So God, would you work in our hearts this morning in such a way that we would see what a tremendous plan you've put before us, that you own us, you bought us, you paid for us. This is your project. To knit the lives of your people together in such a way that communities see Jesus. That families see Jesus. 
that a watching world sees Jesus in us. God, I thank you for a church family that I see faithfulness in so many ways. But God, I'm concerned about those today who are joyless and just sort of drifting along. Maybe because they're not using the gift that you've given them or they're not focused on one anothering other people. So God, I pray that today you would encourage those saints to get in the game. To seek you, Lord, to understand how unique and precious and valuable they are in your plan and your purpose. That you died for them. Not just to take them to heaven one day, but to serve you right now in this day. God, help us. Give us the grace to be better at one anothering each other. Our flesh and our selfishness just gets in our way. And Holy Spirit, we're just asking you to work in the very depths of our hearts. That there would be less of us and more of you. You're worthy of everything we have, Jesus. You're worthy of our very best. God, I pray that our hearts would be renewed today to love you with all our heart, to love you with all of our soul, to love you with all of our mind, to love you with all of our strength. All of it. Till you call us home with the needle past healing. In Jesus' name. Let's stand and let's worship the Lord. And let's be excited that not only do we belong to Him, but we belong to each other. I'm so thankful for that truth. We want Jesus to be seen in us.